Hello, you are listening to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donahue. Uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks with the Europa League and Champions League being played out as many tournaments in Germany and Portugal, respectively. And it's thrown up some really interesting ties, contests, results and clashes. Um, Atalanta were within a whisker of a Champions League semi-final, if not for the introduction of Paris Saint-Germain's Kylian Mbappe and an outstanding showing from Neymar. Uh, PSG now in the final of the competition after having defeated RB Leipzig and Julian Nagelsmann uh, in the semi-final. While in the Europa League, Romelu Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez reminded everybody why they're the most dynamic duo still left in the competition. Um, He rolled and tortured Bayer Leverkusen's defensive giant Edmund Tapsoba in uh, their quarterfinal clash uh, against Bayer Leverkusen before defeating Shakhtar in the semi-final. Um, before all that, though, there, there was the infamy of Juventus bowing out at the last 16 stage of the Champions League. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo throwing somewhat of a tantrum on the pitch as Olympique Lyonnais eliminated Juve and ultimately cost Maurizio Sarri his job. And I suppose he probably won't like being reminded of that defeat, given that it was a few weeks ago now. But that's exactly how we're going to introduce today's guest. Um, it is the Australian himself, scouted football's head honcho, uh, Stephen Gnavis. Steve, welcome back to the pod. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yes, in uh, sad circumstances to talk about uh, a very sad, sad thing. Yeah, Juve's elimination. I don't think too many people saw that coming, to be honest. Um, with Leon sort of having the the, the four or five month break um, from from Ligue's premature curtailment to to playing in the Champions League, with I think it was just the one game in between against Paris Saint Germain. Um, so I think, yeah, that did come as a surprise to many people. Do you think it was perhaps something down to a little bit of complacency on Juve's part? Uh, well, the first thing I'll say is I don't think it was a surprise to uh, a lot of Juventus fans. Uh, obviously, the the first leg, uh, Leon won 1-0. Uh, probably a little bit unlucky with a couple of decisions in that game, but really the, the two legs are kind of symbolic of the of the whole season, pretty pretty flat, kind of lacking ideas going forward, uh, very stagnant through a midfield. It kind of just gets bypassed uh, at will at times by uh, kind of more dynamic teams that, you know, attack in transition really quickly. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it wasn't a massive surprise. A lot of people saw it coming. And, uh, yeah, I think big changes are, are afoot to kind of rectify the situation because we've seen kind of what's happened with the fallout from Barcelona's defeat during the week. Um, but yeah, Juventus are kind of not too far removed from getting into that similar um, similar squad scenario with aging players, high wages that kind of hang like an anchor around the neck of your club. And, and once you're tied into those big contracts, it becomes so difficult to move players. And yeah, we're kind of seeing that now. Uh, with Juventus, they've gone in a new direction with Pirlo and, and really... I think now have their eye forward at really revolutionising this squad uh, and taking it forward from here. Yeah, you said the well, you more or less alluded to the fact that there's going to be a lot of change to, to sort of avoid a, a situation uh, that, like, that's similar at Barcelona where it seems to have gotten quite stagnant with ageing players and you know quite a lot of them on, on big wages burdening the, the club and, and being sort of untransferable. Um, and obviously Juve's hierarchy will not want that to, to, to manifest. Um, so we've seen already, you know, players like Blaise Matuidi uh, being moved on. 
Um, Maurizio Sarri has, has obviously been sacked, as as you uh, mentioned there, because Andrea Pirlo has, will be in the dugout for Juve next season, um, and and obviously will be looking to to defend their nine straight Scudetto wins. Um, uh, for me personally, I thought it was quite a strange move, uh, given that you know he he was appointed the under 23s manager just eight or nine days prior. I mean, as a, as a Juve fan, what what's sort of been the general consensus and feeling around the Pirlo appointment? Yeah, so it's, I think it's a pretty complex situation. Firstly, there's a big wage squeeze going on at the club. Um, as I said, high earners like Kidira, Higuain, uh, Ramsey, Ronaldo, obviously massive wage, uh, Dybala, who they're trying to renew. Um, and then obviously with the pandemic, you've got the revenue squeeze as well. Um, so Pilo became the kind of cheap option. Um I think fans kind of see a kind of optimistic from what I've seen. Uh, but yeah, the main problem for the club is the difference between a, a Pochettino wage and a Pirlo wage uh, is, you know, someone like what Dybala or Delict's wages are at the moment. Um, so that's, you know, that's a, a massive gap for a club that's already uh, trying to, to squeeze down on. So I think uh, they've gone in the direction of, Going with someone that at least knows the club uh, has, from what I've seen of his, you know, media clippings over the last couple of years, kind of says the right things. Um, if they've appointed him to the under twenty threes, I would assume that um, they have already seen something in him. He's still actually completing his coaching badges, so I would, um, I would assume that they have some sort of uh, idea of how he's progressing with that. Um, so I, yeah, I think there's a lot of contributing factors, and I also think that. Uh, one of the main ones was Agnelli, the, the president. It seems like this was kind of an executive decision where he stepped forward and kind of overrided the sporting director, Paratici, and and said, you know what, this is what we want. This is what kind of fits uh, the club, and, and this is the direction we, we're going to go. So um, we'll see. I think Pilo is kind of, although the managers don't typically have a massive influence on transfers, I think he, from what, as I said, the kind of media clippings is kind of the guy that wants to go in the in the direction of, um, you know, lessening the age of the team um, and, and, and you know, moving forward with more of a youthful setup. But, uh, yeah, as I said, the coaches, managers at Juventus don't really have a massive say in transfer. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. It's interesting you mentioned sort of his his coaching credentials there because, you know, clearly anyone who's watched football in, in the 2000s or early 2010s will be familiar with sort of the nonchalance and effortless class that Pirlo had on the pitch. But off it, I don't think too many of us are... Uh, are up to speed with his with his coaching ability. Um, clearly, he, if he was going to be you know appointed as the under twenty threes manager, then obviously there's something there. And I believe he does have his UEFA A license. It's just his pro license that he's still studying for. Um, I mean, whether going into the top job at Italy's most successful club at the moment is a great course of action for him personally. I, I don't know whether that would be the case, but I think if he does relatively well. Like a like a Frank Lampard or or an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, for example, um, maybe maybe the results success uh, rather than sort of the methodology there. I don't I don't know whether you think that this this could sort of embark on a uh, on, on a on a, a budding managerial career for for Pirlo. Yeah, well, it's obviously hard to say when the guy's never managed a professional game in his life, but um, I think he definitely has the 
kind of demeanor that you need. He's like a super calm person, um, super knowledgeable about the game. He always kind of played that quarterbacking role where he saw the whole game and was instructing others around and and uh, understood systems so well. And you know, he, he would have taken a lot of uh, inspiration, I think, from Antonio Conte. So, yeah, I, as I said, I think a lot of fans are optimistic. Um, it's something different. And, yeah, having a manager that's never coached a game, it's kind of hard to tell exactly what system they're going to play. I think they're toying around with potential, uh, yeah, three at the back, the return to the three at the back event is possibly. Um but yeah, it's, it, it is a little bit too hard to to tell at this point. He has talked, as I said in the media, about admiring kind of Dutch total football kind of systems and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's difficult to tell. You, you name dropped Andrea Agnelli uh, before, and he clearly believes in the move to appoint Pirlo, um, probably beyond sort of the financial aspect, because you know saving saving millions is one thing, but also you do want the, the best for you, for your club. Um, but I suppose it is still a risk for a club who who are and very well will be in, in a hugely transitional period, you know, because I suppose on the opposite end of the scouted spectrum, you've got uh, Gigi Buffon at 42 with a year left on his deal, uh, Giorgio Chiellini, 35, under the same circumstances, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, 35, Leonardo Bonucci, 33, Juan Cuadrado, 32, Gonzalo Higuain, 32. A lot of the club's big hitters are out of contract in, in the next one or two years. And I suppose you know, those those squad places will need to be filled and they'll need to be filled by players who, who are up to the standard and will need to fill enormous boots. Yes, the club is going to save money on them uh, because clearly they're not going to bring in players on on as wages as high as those uh, just named, but they're, they're going to need to be of the requisite quality. Where, where do you see Juve sort of doing that recruitment from? Yeah, I think I think they'll, f- they'll find a way. The, the club, um, the sporting director, Paratici, is very... Uh, creative with uh, deals to, you know, comply with FFP and and get each year's accounts in order to comply with FFP. Um, I think at times that direction has actually not always yielded the best results in terms of players for the squad. So um, I'm hoping that there's some sort of uh, divergence from that strategy. Um, But yeah, the club always has its eyes, especially all over Serie A for for the players coming through. And over the last few years, we've seen a lot higher quality players coming, uh, young players coming through the league as well. Uh, I've already seen them uh, pick up Kulusevski, who looks to be an absolute gem. Also uh, Christian Romero last season. Um, So I think obviously the players like Chiellini, Buffon, they're they're, they're kind of irreplaceable in what they they mean for the club. But um, I don't, you know, I don't think the the, the transition will be a, a massive bottoming bottoming out, um, but obviously it's yeah, especially with Corona and the revenue squeeze, it's it's hard to um, go out and and fetch, you know, the best of the best when the the team selling the best of the best best as we've seen with uh, Dortmund and Sancho and Leverkusen with Harvards, they still want top money regardless of the Corona situation. So yeah, the transitional period is going to be interesting. I think. Uh, Chiellini and Buffon will probably both retire at the end of next season. Um, but then players like, obviously, Ronaldo is still producing. Quadrado had a quite good season considering he's playing it right back really full-time for the first for his first season, really playing right back full-time. But then, yeah, there are guys like Kadira Higuain uh, that are yeah coming to their last legs, even though they're early 30s. So, yeah, 
the, 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 the replenishment of, is coming already, but it's going to definitely accelerate in the next two months and we'll wait and see uh, what moves the, the club's going to make. Replenishment is probably a good word for it because I think transition is thrown about a lot, but it's maybe it's already on its way essentially. Um, and we've seen that with the the recruitments of the likes of Kulusevski, as you said, um, back in January. And I suppose this brings us onto something which is certainly more scouted territory, and that's under twenty three players. Um, already, you've got Matthijs De Ligt, uh, Rodrigo Bantancur, and Mary De Miral, um, pretty much. The, the, the recognised uh, and regular first-team players age 23 or under, Demiral less so. Um, Steve, I, I know you're a huge fan of De Ligt uh, and Bentancur especially. Uh, in fact, you wrote something on, on the Uruguayan earlier this year, which was fantastic on, on, our, on our website. Um, but of those three, do you see them stepping up to, maybe not uh, in in sort of the, the philosophical way and the, what they mean to the club, but in, in terms of on the pitch, do you see them stepping up to a, to a Chiellini or a Bonucci level to help solidify and, and continue the dynasty that's been established when, you know, the Ronaldos, the Higuains and the Kadiras uh, and the rest of the old guard have moved on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, those three are going to be absolutely critical uh, in the next year or two. Delict, I've said this on a few different podcasts now, but after that first few games, he had a few hiccups, uh, especially that Napoli game where he got uh, kind of destroyed. Uh, but other than a few handball penalties all season, he was like borderline flawless. Um, definitely, definitely uh, the the club got their money's worth with him. And yeah, he's the kind of guy that you could see for ten years playing at the at the highest level at Juve and becoming a real club legend. Uh, and same with Ben Zancourt. he's been at the club now three or four years. Um, and just keeps improving every year, really. Kind of arrived as more of a kind of a destroyer, but was still quite limited in terms of uh, his passing range and, and uh, positioning and getting forward. But he, he keeps improving there. And yeah, by by mid season, the club had kind of realized they're better off playing Bentancur in front of the defense than Pjanic. Um, and he just provided so much more balance and wasn't a massive. Uh, minus in terms of distribution in in that role, so he's going to be absolutely critical. At, yeah, he held the midfield together at at, 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 ju- at various junctures this season, um, playing alongside guys like yeah Kadira and Matuidi that yeah just kind of weren't at at the at the level anymore. And then Demi Ryle, the club have massive hopes for him. Um, he s- stepped up when Dilit was having those issues early in the season. And uh, was putting in some monstrous, monstrous performances before he uh, did his ACL. So hopefully he's you know fully recovered by the time the season starts. The Lick's still going to be recovering from a shoulder surgery, so he'll probably uh, get some good game time to start the season, and uh, and we'll see how he'll progress from there. But yeah, those three are going going to be absolutely critical. Just going back to to Delict and sort of how he settled in in, in Turin to, to begin with, and you mentioned that Napoli game, and yes, you're right to say that he was kind of destroyed because it was almost like a baptism of fire. You know, he was he was getting ready um, to face the best in Serie A, and and of course Napoli this season haven't been uh, as good as they they were under Maurizio Sarri, for example. Um, but they've still got the players who can turn a game on 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 its head. Um, and I think Delict found that to to be the case. But I think for, for me, it was always strange that there was um, there seemed to be a, a, an attitude of you know we want to see him, we want to see Delict fail, we want to see you know this this golden son of the AFC Ajax, the Tokomst Academy, you know fail uh, in in his first real challenge in the top five league. And 
to say that the, the you know the noise surrounding him as his performances have got better and better has has seemed to quieten down i think that's more reflective at least here in the uk i think that's more reflective of you know the, this is you know a 70 odd uh, 75 million signing that is absolutely worth every penny and and did, didn't really deserve the 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 early criticism um, because at the end of the day, he was still acclimatizing to a new league, a new language, new teammates, um, a new city, and to yeah to to follow it up, uh, especially that Napoli game, to follow that early season form up with, I'd say, near perfect performances um, going through the season, and to to win the Scudetto in his first year, I think is is emblematic of a of a player who, as you say, can become sort of that that dynasty figure, ten spend ten years at a club. Uh, and be a, a real icon. I, I've got a lot of admiration for for Delict, um, but Bentancur as well. Um, the just sort of coming in as as the destroyer uh, a couple of years ago. I think when I was reading your your piece, Steve, on, on Bentancur, I, I feel like I didn't truly appreciate uh, prior to that just how useful and how integral to uh, to the Juve team that he was in the structure and the setup and that they have there so I think yeah with with those two I mean I haven't seen too much of Demiral so I, I'll, I'll reserve comment and judgment on him for the time being uh, I look forward to seeing more of him at the beginning of next year um, but yeah the, those two Delict and, and Bentancur yeah, I've got incredibly high hopes for uh, as well um, again it's it's difficult to 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 wonder what a new coach with no sort of coaching evidence or coaching background uh, in, in, in top-level football is going to do with those players. But, for example, could you see Delict and Demiral playing together as sort of they try to transition out of that Chiellini phase? How do you envisage uh, Juve playing with with a few under-23s thrown in um, under Andrea Pirlo? Yeah, I think, well, if they play with a three-back, then it's going to be... Uh, Delete Demiral and Bonucci playing in the middle, probably, and, and being that distributor that he, uh, the distributor role that he likes to play. Um, but I think if they go the two back, it'll yeah, it'll probably rotate around one of Demiral and and Bonucci playing alongside uh, Delete to to start with. They probably roll out Bonucci more, um, but yeah, he'll def- definitely get his opportunities. Um, and then Bentancur again, that'll be interesting to see whether. Um, Pilo still wants to progress with him playing that uh, role in front of the defense and <laughs> Pilo will have an eye for a player that can play that role uh, pretty well so um, yeah it'll be interesting to see if he places that faith in him and then whether he can teach him a few tricks of the trade and uh, in, in, especially with some of those uh, long balls and free kicks and long shots and all that kind of special stuff that mm. Pilo is magic at so if he can yeah pass some of that wisdom on as well would be nice I mean if he turns Bentancur into that player I think he probably becomes one of the the hottest you know midfield properties in the game uh, to be honest but yeah I hope for that as well I'm just delving a little bit deeper into sort of the structure at at Juve and given that Pirlo will have been well would have been working uh, with the under 23 had Sari not been sacked um, or somebody else came in for the top job um, do you see him paying much attention to the under-23 side um, to draw on them to play bit-part roles next season? Or is that just not the way that, that Juve's you know, hierarchy and, and, the, and the structure works between the first team and the, and the under-23s? Yeah, this has kind of always been my big disappointment as a Juventus fan is it's kind of just kind of neglect. It's not really neglected the, the youth setup, but 
Um, it's kind of more used as a vehicle for capital gains on the balance sheet rather than as an actual pipeline into the first team. Uh, the club hasn't really had a, a youth product kind of succeed at the club since uh, Claudio Marchisio. So obviously, you know, that, that, that link between the two hasn't really formed. Um, in, and then in saying that we've had, you know, some players come through the under-23 setup in the last couple of years, Steffi Mavadidi, uh, was probably the most notable one that then have been uh, sold on to net the club some some capital gains. But yeah, there's not really been uh, that link to the first team. And I honestly, unless there's a dramatic change, I can't see that happening in the near future, especially since those kind of, you know, that kind of strategy and that kind of vision it takes, you know, three to five years to really put in place. It's not something that you say, tomorrow we're going to have a good youth system that churns out players and it just happens. Yeah, and I appreciate that, you know, that's not something that happens overnight. You know, you're not going to bring in Andrea Pirlo and be like, okay, you know what, now we're going to decide to blood the youth. Now we're going to have a real focus on this. It has to come from from, from higher up and for, for the decision makers to, to, to say that, you know, this is, the, this is the avenue that we want to pursue. So I suppose, hypothetically, you know, um, with the minutes of Matuidi, Higuain, Kadira, Pjanic, um, those 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 sorts of players potentially and already having done so, uh, having left the club, um, you know those minutes they'll be replaced by uh, players that that Juve bring in in the transfer market rather than um, sort of promoting the likes of Paolo Gozzi, uh, Samuele Moratore, or the Elia Petrelli, uh, or, or any of the lads who who've been um, playing in the UEFA Youth League. Um, so I think, yeah, I, that that that's something that's always. Not to the same extent of disappointment as I'm not a Juve fan, but it does sort of disappoint in a way to see that a club with such resources could, if they really devoted the time and attention to it, promote players from within. But I suppose um, at the moment, you know, eight, nine league titles in a row, they haven't needed to, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I can see why they why they, why they haven't done that. Um, in, in terms of finished articles that, that, they, that Juve tried to bring in, um, and, and up and coming, you know, first team players who can make and leave uh, an impact uh, on on the first team. Uh, we, you know, we've seen the likes of Dejan uh, Kulisevsky signed. De, uh, Matthijs De Ligt was was one of those players uh, who was signed uh, last summer. Who you could say w- was far from the finished article, but was very very well refined. Do you see um, sort of more of those types of signings coming in in the next sort of few months, or more towards the 26, 27, 28 year old mark? Well, yeah, that's uh, that's the water that's going under the bridge at the moment. I, I'm not sure even the club exactly knows what what direction, or well, not necessarily what direction, but kind of what targets are there within the price range. And they've got to get money off their own books before they really go hunting uh, for players to come in. So uh, it's pretty tough. I've seen like, we've seen kind of names like Lacazette and Arcadia's Milik linked, but then you've also kind of seen tentative stuff to guys like Dest at Ajax, which I, I'm, I'm fairly certain would be very tensitive because it doesn't kind of, you know, seem like the typical Juventus signing. Um, but yeah, I think there's a mix, but it, it, a lot of it's just going to come down to whether the the money is right. The club doesn't want to spend big wages, but it also doesn't want to spend big transfer fees. So um, often deals with low transfer fees give end up in big wages and uh, young players that sign on for big money don't often command as high a wage. So um, it's always a catch-22 and finding 
value when every club is is trying to go after value in this transfer window uh, is going to be difficult. Um, but I also think that yeah, the club really is, doesn't want to saddle itself with long term long term high wages again, like they they did um, in that kind of cycle where uh, that started with kind of Higuain coming in and then continued with Ronaldo coming in with that kind of win-now mentality that uh, lacked a bit of vision for, for what comes next. With that, that I think Sadi was kind of kind of unfortunately saddled with and, and kind of was saddled with the blame for having to deal with, with the squad formation as it was. I'm just moving on and we've just finished putting together uh, volume seven of the Scouted Football Handbook uh, and it's a real delight to, to have another one done and dusted. Of the two issues published so far this year and, and including volume seven, depending on when you're listening, um, Steve, who are some of the players that you'd like um, Juve to sign and sort of, or, or you'd like them to, to be interested in hypothetically um, that, that were included uh, in, in some of the books? Yeah, the one that's like really kind of took Serie A by storm last season was Jeremy Bolger. Um, obviously, it probably doesn't really fit in with the squad playing on the left wing where Cristiano Ronaldo spends a lot of his time. But, um, yeah, he was absolutely magic this season. Um, so exciting to watch. Moved so quickly with the ball um, and is developing his goal threat um, season on season. Uh, and then the other one that I thought of and in a desperate uh, position of need in midfield, c- kind of killed us over over two legs in the Champions League, and that was uh, Bruno Grimaraes from from Lyon, who's just arrived there in uh, January, if I uh, have my facts right. But just does everything. Um, it's hard to really explain, but he just kind of crushed us over two legs, controlled the game, um, did all the right things, and yeah, he he looked absolutely class. Yeah, Bruno Guimaraes was was sort of one of the one of the players that I mean was linked with with a few clubs, um, Arsenal being one of them as well. And I think yeah, he would have made a good fit at, at Juve, and has obviously proven to be uh, quite quite efficient in, uh, in in the Champions League, knocking out uh, Lyon and um, uh, knocking out uh, Juve and, and Manchester City in his first sort of knockout uh, rounds. Um, that he's that he's experienced since coming over from Brazil. So yeah, I think uh, yeah he's um, he's one that certainly for the next few years could be. Um, could we want to watch in, in your top five leagues? Because with with Leon as as it stands, not uh, not qualifying for for European football next season, there could be um, there could be certainly some interest uh, in in the months to come for for him. Um, there is actually a Juventus player included in Volume Seven, the latest edition of the handbook, um, and it's penned by uh, yourself, Steve. Um, he's I mean he's returning or not to the club uh, following a loan spell at Genoa over the past few seasons. I, I'm not going to give it away. I'll, let, I'll leave that to you. But who is it and sort of what are your hopes for, for him in Turin? Yeah, so the player is Christian Romero. Uh, spent a season at Genoa before uh, Juve signed him uh, and then loaned him back last summer. Um, but yeah, he might never, ever play for, uh, for Juve. It's kind of... You know, unfortunate for him is the fact that there's just so much centre back depth now um, at the club. 
but yeah, he's he's been pretty impressive in his two seasons in Serie A. Um, kind of is a defender that likes to uh, sit back really strong as an interceptor. So yeah, kind of plays a sweepery role as a centre-back. But uh, yeah, he's pretty efficient in, in stepping forward and, and breaking up attacks. Um, and then has kind of like an attacking streak where he's kind of given license playing in a three-back to kind of get forward in. And he is pretty monstrous in the air. But yeah, he he's one of the the players that is kind of seen as a a make weight potentially f- to to fund other moves. So yeah, even by the time the the, the book arrives with people, it, it wouldn't shock me to to hear news of him heading elsewhere, just simply because he's a player of value and um, it's a, a place where a position where Juventus can afford to to let him go from. It's always difficult to to give your appraisal and rank uh, individuals and their their overall quality and their ceiling um, in in a team sport essentially because you know everything relies on, on you know the strength of a team and of course Genoa were relegated from Syria this season um, of course with Christian Romero at the heart of that defence um, do you think that there might be a, a small amount of reticence from the Juventus hierarchy perhaps to to, to, I don't know to, to perhaps persevere with with him in the first team, or, or to maybe see him into the first team setup um, because he he has a relegation risk CV, or is that something that doesn't sort of come into the, into the thinking? No, I, I I just think that there's just not a whole lot of space for him. Um, obviously, you've got Delict and Demiral, who are your two uh, guys you're looking ahead to the future with. Um, as your as your two number one first choice centre backs, and then you've got Chiellini, who, as I said, probably will retire at the end of the season. You've got Bonucci, who still still has good years ahead of him, and and is yeah a leadership figure at the club, um, and is you know a pretty important figure at the club. Uh, and then you still also got guys like uh, Rugani, who I think they're also shopping. But yeah, there's just so much depth there, and he's just a player that's worth money. Um, and they, I think that they feel like um, needing to fund moves in other positions where there's not as much depth. That he is just, you know, if the if the money's right, he's someone that makes sense to to part with. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily, yeah, a question of of his talent, but just a a necessity for the club. A business decision rather than a rather a quality decision, essentially. Um, I mean, this the next question is probably a loaded one because there's no correct answer in, in all honesty. But I mean, he won't be here forever, uh, and and you know he won't be performing at an, at an elite level either. I mean, in five years' time, Cristiano Ronaldo will be forty years old, and you know the twilight of his career is is a- approaching, or rather, it's upon us. You know, he's contracted to Juve until twenty twenty two, when he'll be thirty seven. You know, how do you go about replacing a player like him? You know, the influence on and off the pitch, you know, the level that he brings players to, the benchmark that, that he undoubtedly sets, you know, because you're not going to you're not going to um, replace that with with a 20 year old who's very exciting and the, the up and coming prospect. You know, there's there's so much more gravitas that, um, that a player like him brings to a dressing room. Um, what, I don't know what is Juve's succession plan for, for that? Yeah, I don't think necessarily, you know, dressing room figures um, to replace him is necessarily a problem within the club. I think there's a lot of uh, strong leaders, Chiellini, Buffon, Bonucci, De Litt, Bentancur coming through, um, Dybala, of course. 
Um, and then, yeah, with that star quality, you do have someone like Dybala uh, that's still going to be there, hopefully, uh, once Ronaldo's gone. Obviously, you know, you can't replace uh, the gravitas and the goals, but I think, you know, at, at times he's, he's quite a frustrating uh, figure to watch as well. So, um the, the the one kind of criticism I would I have of, of Ronaldo is he kind of just can throw out the balance of a team. He doesn't work super hard defensively, um, and he's kind of a ball stopper when when he gets the ball up forward and 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 and, and doesn't shift it around, um, you know, ef- effectively as part of a, f- a flowing attack. Um, but yeah, his goals and he, and his big game uh, experience and. You know, his quality in big games is is difficult to replace. Um, but yeah, it's just <laughs> there's, there's not many players of, of that level coming through, and the ones that are like Mbappe and Harvards and and those kinds, they're all already getting snapped up by the clubs, and 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 Juve aren't quite in that financial position to go after the the next Ronaldo at this point. So uh, yeah, there's definitely going to be a void, but it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, who can come through and kind of fill that? I think the club will be hoping that uh, someone like Kulusevski can really take that big step up once he arrives at Juve and, and and maybe go some way to replacing that. But obviously, you can't replace however many Ballon d'Ors, Champions League wins, etc. That that Ronaldo has. Yeah, there. I mean, there is some consolation because Dejan Kulusevski is a Juventus player, having signed back in January um, and then remaining on loan at Parma until the end of the season where um, he he ended the Serie A campaign, his first full Serie A campaign with 10 goals and 8 assists. Um, it helped that he was playing in probably the, the league's best counter-attacking side um, with the likes of Jovino to assist him. And we, we touched on this specifically uh, in our January transfers episode back in uh, January at the start of the year, um, but I suppose on reflection now, thirty-five million euros. Yes, the the sort of COVID pandemic has has meant that this summer is a completely different marketplace, but it still looks very cheap for a player who ended his the season with those numbers. You know, only only Luis Alberto and and Papu Gomez had a higher expected assists value throughout twenty nineteen twenty, according to to fbref dot com, and they both had exceptional seasons. You know outlying seasons especially for Serie A you know Kulusevski's only 20 um you know he's maintained that performance which thrust him onto our radar in the first few months of the season uh, throughout the the first half of the second half of the season and then post lockdown as well you know is he is he only going to get better in a stronger Juve side yeah i think this is the the best bargain the uh, the club's got since Dybala um 35 million i think uh, if he was being sold uh, now, he'd probably go for a fair bit more than that. Um, yeah, as you said, just the consistency to kind of pop up at the start of the season. But a lot of times, you know, kind of in those 18, 19, 20-year-olds that kind of pop up early in the season and can then, you know, have that slump through January, February, March where the goals kind of dry up and the performances kind of falter a little bit. But he just kept it going, and he like he was as good in after the lockdown as he was before the lockdown. There was no drop off. He was just class. Um, so I think coming in, he is going to be a super important uh, player in terms of just kind of shaking things up, bringing bringing some pace, um, the dribbling, uh, the speed into the attack to to kind of break up the the stagnant nature of of what we saw. Uh, 
last season that kind of just became so boring. Um, as you, I think, as you said, Padma and Juve had the most kind of contrasting attacking setups. Um, so whether he can then drop in and work straight away will be interesting to see, especially with kind of spaces closed up a bit more. But yeah, he's, he's the breath of fresh air in attack that the club definitely needs. Um, elsewhere on, on the transfers front, you've got uh, Luca Pellegrini returning from loan, uh, a left-back who's proven to be really dynamic for Cagliari last season, uh, and particularly at the beginning of the year, maybe in that sense, the, the young player who bursts onto the scene and then perhaps drops off a little bit as the team performance starts to decline. Uh, and you've also got Felix Correa, a young right-winger, um, signed for around €10 million Euros from Manchester City uh, and is a Portuguese youth international. Um, what do you know of and, and what do you like about, about those two in, in particular? Yeah, so again, uh, Pellegrini is another one that they're uh, shopping around. Um, as you said, he kind of started last season brightly, but then had, I think, a few injury problems and kind of wasn't uh, didn't finish the season as strongly. Um, but yeah, he's he's one of those ones that's been being shopped around. So uh, he potentially might not play a game for the club, and and Felix Correa as well. He was part of a uh, an accounting deal, I would say, between uh, Juve and Manchester City uh, that saw uh, Pablo Moreno, the young Spanish attacker at Juve, head the other way. Um, and I'd be very surprised to see him. Uh, play this season. I, I think he's moved into the under 23s. Um, so, yeah, I'd, Pellegrini might play. Correa definitely won't. Um, so, yeah, but even Pellegrini, if he does arrive, I would say he'd be the understudy to Alexandro more than a, a, a full blooded, you know, first teamer. Um, I don't think he's got the. They're raising me behind him to be ready for, for that kind of step up either. Um, of, of course, Luca Pellegrini was also featured in Volume 5 of the Scouted Football Handbook, profiled uh, by uh, Matt Santangelo. And he and Cagliari were, were great during the first portion of Serie A last year. Um, as you touched on earlier, there have also been suggestions that Juve are after another fullback in AFC Ajax's Serginio Dest. Um, he is apparently on the radar, uh, depending on where you get your news from. And I suppose it, does it does it make sense to 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 bring in a player like like Dest now? I mean, to me, it doesn't seem to be. I don't know. It doesn't seem to be the best course of action. Well, yeah, it's just another one. It's kind of depends on how the transfers fall. Who's interested in who? Uh, I think Juventus are shopping Deschilio. They're shopping Danilo. They're shopping even I think Alexandro. Um, kind of, it's just at the moment. It, all the cards will fall as they will. Um, and so in that sense, a, a move for someone like Des, like it could make sense if the money's right. Um, and then you kind of got that flexibility with him and, and Quadrado. Both can kind of push up onto the wing. Both can push into into fullback. And then if it's in a 3-5-2, it kind of probably would suit both of them as well to kind of unleash and, and get forward. Um so I think, especially if they go with the the, the three five two route, that could that could make sense. Um, so yeah, the, it, as I said, the, the the way that the transfer window uh, is a, is going going to unfold is kind of yeah impossible to predict at this point because 
probably 70% of the team is on the market um, and the club are just going to work out what the numbers are saying and, and who they can go after with what they've got. Um, Steve, it's, it's anyone's guess how Andrea Pirlo truly sees his, his Juve team shaping up for next season. I mean, you mentioned there potentially a 3-5-2. Um, but say, for example, I mean, besides the point of, you know, how the transfers fall and beside the fact that it is a COVID marketplace and that, you know, there's going to be that, that financial squeeze, as, as you uh, mentioned earlier. You know, if, for example, if I handed you a cheque for 50 million euros right now, uh, chance would be a fine thing. Uh, which under twenty three player are you going to be signing and handing a six year contract at the Juventus Stadium tomorrow? Hmm, I'm just trying to think of who you could actually get for under fifty million euros these that, days. That's but... what I mean. Yeah, because I, I was thinking <laughs> um, perhaps you know I could say any player, but that's very easy. You know, you'd go for an Mbappe type player, but I think fifty kind of limits it at. Yeah, I think fifty limits it quite well. If I do say so myself. Yeah. Um... I've got. I do have a, a big soft spot for uh, Marcos Antonio at, at Shakhtar. I think he's uh, uh, again. It's a, a position of need for Juventus in midfield. He's super dynamic, um, so good on the ball, so fun to watch. Great ball carrier, um, and we've kind of watched him go from step to step to step. With first uh, the Brazilian under seventeen team a few years ago, uh, then he kind of moved into Portugal with Estoril for it was like half a season. Um, and did quite well in limited appearances. And yeah, he, he, the, the way he's progressed at Shakhtar from kind of bit part bench player into a regular starter now has been super quick and super impressive. Um, he can do a bit of everything, uh, gets forward, scores a goal every now and then. Um, and yeah, he's just so fun to watch. Uh, so he'd be, yeah, he'd be one that you possibly could get for under 50 million euros. But yeah, in this economy, who knows? Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes that makes plenty of sense. I like Marcus Antonio too. He's been good in the knockouts um, for, for Shakhtar besides their semi-final uh, defeat to Inter. Um, yeah, he's been he's been fun to watch. Uh, for me, I wouldn't use up the entire fifty on a player. You know, come on, let's not be daft here. Pocket change for an e- <laughs> pocket change for an easy life. Um, I'd spend sort of whatever the asking price is uh, for Brescia's Sandro Tonali because purely and simply, you know, him playing under Pirlo would be like seeing double. <laughs> And and it seems as though they're going to be, you know, there's going to be some spot in that UV midfield which could be filled by a you know a deep distributor like Tonali, and of course you know you can't complain with the aesthetic, can you? Definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, you wrote about Tonali uh, earlier in the season. Sort of where would he end up? How just just to gauge your opinion, how much would you say Tonali perhaps could could go for, given that Brescia were were relegated? Yeah, well, it looks kind of like a deal with Inter is pretty close, uh, around the 35 uh, million euro kind of money. I think there was kind of some agreement between Tonali and Brescia as well, if they got relegated, kind of what he'd go for, and they kind of agreed to it before uh, last season, I think. Um, So that was kind of a gentleman's agreement between um, Tonali and the owner, I think, of Brescia for that, I think. Otherwise, it potentially could have been a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think that's where it's going to sit around 30, 35 plus bonuses. So what, that leaves me with 15 million to, to spare. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with that. Uh, just finally, ideally, how how would you set up next season uh, at UVA? Because I assume we'll see some changes from from Sarri Ball. Uh, maybe not drastic ones because, for, you know, who's to say we don't know how Pulo wants to set up. 
But the fact that there are a handful of players moving on and suggested to be doing so in the coming weeks and months, it does indicate towards uh, the, that shift that, that we've discussed. So how, how would you set up? Yeah, I think the, I think they'll start the season uh, still playing fullback. Uh, you'll probably see Demiral and uh, Bonucci with Delete out for a couple more months with the after a shoulder surgery. Um, with the squad as it is now, it'll probably look pretty similar, but with uh, Kulusevski and possibly possibly Artur uh, coming in from Barcelona starting. Um, so I'd say probably midfield would be Bentancur, Rabiot, who played really well after the lockdown. Um and then, yeah, left back Alexandro, right back Quadrado. And then uh, I would say probably Kulusevski, Ronaldo, and Dybala up front. But it could be Benedeski, Dybala, Ronaldo, and Kulusevski coming in in kind of a more attacking midfield role rather than uh, on the right wing. So that'll be, yeah, interesting to see how they want to use, uh, use Kulusevski. I mean, I've got nothing, absolutely nothing against uh, Benedeski. In fact, he was great at the the under-21 Euros in 2017. Probably one of my favourite players there. But has to be said, I really want it to be that Kulusevski, Ronaldo, Dybala sort of front line. That would be, be exceptional. Um, do you think, just finally, do, do you think Serie A will be more of a close-run contest next year? Or do you think it could conceivably be 10 in a row from a completely objective, unbiased position? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think Inter are really asking a lot of questions, um, but at the same time, it's kind of like I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. In terms of every other club, you know, Roma, Inter, Lazio, uh, they've all kind of put up fights over the last uh, nine seasons, uh, but eventually, none of them have really ever been able to to put it together for, you know, a full 38-game stretch. And, you know, this year, Juve, as kind of bad as they were, they never really kind of faltered until the end of the season when they were pretty much just about approaching the finishing line anyway. Um, so they only won, you know, by a point, but they won the league with three games to spare. Um, but, yeah, Inter with Conte making, uh, you know, improving... Uh, when they, you know, can get it together, uh, their best is extremely good, as we saw uh, during the week. Uh, I'm expecting Lazio kind of to drop off. I think Napoli will be better this and uh, this coming season, but but not quite challenging. Uh, but yeah, if anyone is going to, I think we, I think we say this any se- every season for the last <laughs> nine. But if there was ever a time to do it, it would be uh, be this season for Inter. I think. Excellent. Um... Well, before we go, Steve, please uh, please tell people where they can find our handbook, uh, our social channels and the like, if, if they'd like to hear more and, and, and read more from us. Yes, so we will have the next edition of the handbook coming out on Wednesday the 26th. Um, so the book will be arriving with us on Monday and being shipped straight out to, to our loyal subscribers, who we thank very much. Um, but yeah, sfhandbook.com to, to buy the book or any of the uh, previous editions that are still in, still in stock. Um, and yeah, that's that's about it. Okay, well, uh, that's time on today's episode. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Please recommend us to a friend or family, mem- family member, colleague, anybody you know who likes footballing, wants to know 
the players that they should be watching over the next few years should be. Uh, add us to your podcast rotation and uh, let us know what you think if you've enjoyed this episode. Um, we'd love to hear from you and, and would love it if you bought a handbook to uh, digital or print. Um, that all support is, is hugely, hugely appreciated. Um, find us on Twitter at ScoutedFTBL and hopefully we'll be back uh, with another episode for you shortly. Um, I've been Joe Donoghue and, and this has been the, the Scouted Football Podcast with Stephen Ganavis. That's all from us. Bye for now.